If you have your Bibles, then I'd ask you to turn with me to John chapter 15, and we're going to read from verse 9 through to verse 17. This is Jesus teaching his disciples. And he's begun this chapter by saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And he speaks about us being the branches, and we are to remain in him. And so he then picks it, we pick it up in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you, do, if you keep my commands. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so, that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. It's interesting, isn't it, as uh, this uh, autumn we've been going through a series entitled Creating Community Together. And uh, when we were planning out this, uh, this series... I'd left sort of uh, November the 11th blank as being a Sunday of remembrance and thinking, yes, okay, that will be the theme, that will be the focus. So, uh, you know, we won't necessarily be thinking of creating community together. But then just felt uh, led to this passage in John 15, verses uh, 9 to 17. And how far from the truth could I be? But Jesus is here speaking all about community and speaking about how we build community and what the lifeblood of community is. Love. Love one another, he says. Love one another. And then that challenge that comes in it. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. There's a tremendous amount in that, isn't there? During World War I, 
More than 18 million people were killed and 23 million were wounded. In Britain alone, 6 million plus men went off to fight. 1.7 million were wounded. 65,000 came back shell-shocked and yet I'm sure there are many more who carried the scars of war. 170,000 became prisoners of war. 772,000 died. No community was untouched. It was meant to be the war to end all wars. But the 20th century tells a very different story. According to an article in the Guardian newspaper in 2002, the total number of deaths caused by or associated with the wars in the 20th century is estimated to be 187 million people. They're phenomenal figures, aren't they? During the First World War, this text from John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends, was used time after time after time to encourage young men, and yes, it was young men, to sign up and go off to war as an act of service, as an act of duty, as an act of honour, an act of sacrifice and Christian duty. Consider for a moment the story of Amy Beachy, who lost five sons during the First World War. Her sacrifice as a mother was great. Five sons killed. A sixth son returned disabled for life. However, despite her great pride in her sons, she was a reluctant heroine. On receiving an honour from Queen Mary, she said, it was no sacrifice, ma'am. I did not give them willingly. And I guess that puts it into context. The interpretation, in the interpretation given at the time of the First World War of John 15, 13 sits very uneasily in the context of this whole passage of John 15, 1 to 17. And is a clear warning of the dangers of simply plucking a verse out of context and applying it to any given situation. The talk and the context is of love not war. And so we come to this passage and we look. We look at its context. And its context is the vine. Jesus is teaching about life in the vine. Verses 1 to 8. The vine is an Old Testament biblical image of the nation of Israel. Jesus is now translating that image to the picture of the embryonic church, to the disciples themselves. Much in the same way that Paul uses the image or the picture of the body in 1 Corinthians 12. 
He's saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. Together, we are a community, the vine. It's also that picture of the church and what the church should look like as a vine, as a community. Christ at the very centre, the very lifeblood of that community or sap or the sap of the vine coursing through its branches. Everything we are flows from and through him. Apart from him, we have no purpose. We can do nothing. John 15, verse 5. That treads on our arrogance, doesn't it? That treads on our pride. Without me, you can do nothing. Jesus says to his disciples, we like to think that we can do something don't we? Yesterday, we had a management team meeting for uh, Hope uh, Hamptons East. Nikki led us in a little devotional. And it was around that question that comes in the scriptures when Jesus approaches the blind man. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And one person commented... It wasn't that Bartimaeus was asking, what do you want me to do? It was Jesus saying, what do you want me to do? So often we come, don't we? What can I do? What can I do? Well, the simple fact is we can do nothing. It is only what Jesus Christ does in us and through us by his lifeblood flowing in us it is only by remaining in him that we can be fruitful. It is into this clear image of the church as a community that Jesus gives us a very clear command. Love one another. Because the lifeblood of the very community of God is love. That is the heartbeat that is the lifeblood. Everything else flows out from that. We've been thinking about accepting one another. We've been thinking about encouraging one another. We've been thinking about what it is to be a community. And it all flows out of this one command. The command to love. My command is this. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. And then he repeats the command in verse 17, because he knows we're a little bit dull, we're a little bit slow on the uptake, and so he repeats it in verse 17. In the gospel, there is one command that Jesus gives to his disciples. And it came in chapter 13, in verse 34. And it's reiterated here. He says, a new command I give to you. What is it? Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. The word command has the idea of a charge, a directive, an order such as would be given by a senior officer to a junior in the army, an order that is to be obeyed. 
There is no proviso, no ifs or buts, no conditions. It's a straightforward love one another. Doesn't matter whether they've got glasses or whether they haven't. Doesn't matter whether we like them or we don't. It doesn't matter whether we think they're obnoxious or they aren't. We're called to love. This is an action. Love is the sap or the life that flows through the veins of the vine. Within these verses there is a chain of love. If you look closely. The Father loves Jesus. Jesus loves his disciples. And the disciples must love one another. And by that they bring their, the circle back to loving God. It is a love that originates in the heart of the Father, is demonstrated through the sacrifice of the Son, and is lived out in the lives of the disciples. Paul follows this chain of love in Ephesians 5. He says, follow God's example. Therefore, what's God's example? His example is love. As dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And John reiterates it in his second letter of, of John. He says, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. Do you want a definition of love? There you have it. There you have it. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. It's not an emotion. It's an act of obedience. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. But that's not just, that's not, not enough for, for, for Jesus. He gives an example. As I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Firstly, it was a choice he made. In this passage, Jesus states very clearly, you did not choose me. There you are, that steps again on our arrogance and our pride, doesn't it? Because we all like to think that we chose Jesus. We chose to follow him. The reality isn't. He chose you. He chose me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. Earlier... <coughs> In John 10, when Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd, and he speaks about laying down his life, he says this. No, sorry, that's it. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. I give up everything. Only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. A choice. We have a choice. 
whether we love one another or we don't. We can pick it up and we can lay it down. The love that Jesus is speaking about is always a choice. It's not a feeling or an emotion, but a decision we make and an action we take. It is not simply words, but words backed up by action. It is a love that has no boundaries, knows no distinctions and draws no comparisons. Paul summed up this love in these very familiar words. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And every one of those is a choice. Every one of those is a decision we take. You may irritate me intensely but I choose to be patient with you. I choose to be patient with you. You may have many of the things in the world that I would love to have, but I choose not to be envious, but to be thankful for your good fortune. And so it goes on. You may slight me, You might humiliate me. You might knock me down. But I choose to forget it and not to hold it against you. That is love. And that's what it means to lay down our lives for our friends. Because that kind of love is a choice and a sacrifice when we would be prepared to hit back when we were prepared to be hostile because Jesus also loved us sacrificially verse 13 has Calvary very much at insights this is the supreme act of sacrificial love What happened at Calvary is the greatest act of unselfish love the world has ever seen or will ever see. It is the benchmark for all our love. It is the example of how we should love one another. Without boundaries, knowing no distinctions and drawing no comparisons because that is how God in Christ Jesus, has loved us. The love Jesus describes here is not a love that can be demanded, as it was demanded of those young men who heard that rallying cry. It is a love that can only freely be given. Given freely. 
of one's own accord, selflessly, lavishly, sacrificially, and totally for the benefit of another person. That's what Jesus is talking about. You can trace this story of love through the whole of the New Testament. I've got a string of verses, but there's not time this morning to go through them all. But Paul says, be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. The writer to the Hebrews says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Peter says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. They're all choices. They're all choices we make. John writes in his letters, and his letters are full of this command. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. On this day of remembrance, yes, let us pause. Let us remember and let us give thanks for all those who gave their lives for the freedom we take so much for granted today. What is it, the phrase? We gave our today for your tomorrow. But also remember, there is but one sacrifice that brings lasting freedom. And this, this last century is a testimony to that, isn't it? The First World War was the war that was thought to end all other wars, but it was the most brutal century in world history. But we remember that there is but one sacrifice that brings lasting freedom. When on a hill outside of Jerusalem, the Son of God won the greatest battle of all and gave to all who put their trust in him to true freedom and liberty, not just for this life, but for eternity. It is as Peter puts it, no, it's as Paul puts it, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, and here's the catch, serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. It is a love we are called to imitate because it is the lifeblood of the church. Let us pray.